0: I'm honored to be here. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 22, if you would please. And uh, it's always a blessing and privilege for my wife and I to be here at White Oak Baptist Church. We uh, love your church. We are so excited about your pastor. This is my first time to meet your pastor and his wife, and they are—they, I'm very impressed. I am very impressed. God has given you a wonderful pastor, and I believe that the greatest days of your church are still yet ahead, and we have a wonderful past, a wonderful uh, history, and I believe it's going to just get better and better as time goes by. Matthew chapter 22, I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about the subject, what is this missions conference all about? In my opinion, missions conference is the the most important week of the church year. Uh, As far as the church calendar, I think that this week is the most important. When I was pastoring, uh, I, I always encouraged our people, as your pastor is encouraging you, to be in every service, to take the time out. I know it's difficult, but uh, take this time out for missions conference. I believe it's the time when uh, God would have us to come together and focus our attention on getting the gospel uh, to the entire world. There's a danger, though, about missions conference that I've seen through the years, and that is, that is this, that we would misunderstand what the missions conference is all about. And, uh, and, and I, I think that this is something that I'm guilty of as well, uh, especially in the early years of my ministry. What I thought the missions conference was about was this. I thought the missions conference was the time that we were going to try to raise money for uh, for missions. Now, obviously, that that's, that's part of why we're here. We're here to try to raise money, and that's uh, with the the commitment card that we're going to ask you to fill out, uh, a commitment on how much you're going to give over and above your normal giving that could be set aside for missions. By the way, that's the most unselfish thing that your church does is missions. Every dime that uh, that you give over and above your normal giving is set aside for missions, and 100% of it goes outside of your church. If you think about it, there's nothing you're gaining by it. You're not going to pave the parking lot with it. You're not going to build a, build a new building with it. You're not going to remodel. It's all going to go to somebody else. It's the most unselfish giving that we possibly could do. And I think, I'm think i thankful that your pastor has a vision for this. But I thought that, that, that it was about this. As the years went by, I began to realize that the missions conference is not about this. It's about this. It's not about my money. It's about my heart. What God is trying to build is you. Uh, he, you know, God doesn't need our money. We have the privilege of giving. God allows us to be able to give, to be able to have a part in His work. But it's not like God's going to be as broken if we don't give. He's, you know, He's going to be in big trouble. Uh, this is about building us. God's going to build you this week. He's going to build Christians this week, as well as raising money. It's about the heart. Matthew chapter twenty-two, Jesus on one occasion gave an answer to a lawyer, an attorney that had come to him, a lawyer, I shouldn't say an attorney, this would not be an attorney like we would know today, a, a lawyer as they had in, in, in the Old Testament who, who studied the law and was a part of, uh, of uh, teaching the law of God. This lawyer came to him asking him a question. The lawyer did not have a good motive. He was tempting him. The Bible says in Matthew 22:35, tempting him. But here's the question. this lawyer comes to Jesus and he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. So I want to talk to you today about what this missions conference is all about. What it's all about really is this. It's about three commands. All three of these commands were given to us by Jesus Christ. We call them the great commandment, the great compassion, and the great commission. Let's pray together, and then let's look at these for a few moments this morning. Father. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to be here at White Oak Baptist Church. Thank you for bringing Pastor Lejeune and his dear wife here and uh, their children. I pray, Father, you might continue to bless them and use them uh, as this church continues on the path that it's been on for many years now, uh, a good path, Uh, preaching the Word of God, winning people to Christ, seeing people saved, seeing missions. And, Father, I pray that the greatest days would still be yet ahead, that you would bless them. I pray that this conference... Lord, might be one of the greatest conferences that they've had. That we might be able to see an increase in our giving. And that, Lord, uh, as a result of it, that you would grow not only your missions uh, program and around the world, your cause around the world, but, Father, that you'd grow the people here. That they would become more in love with Jesus and more in love with others. And, Father, that they might be able to learn, all of us together might be able to learn what it really is, uh, what this conference is all about. We ask your blessings upon our time together now in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is this conference all about? Well, number one, it's about the great commandment. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said about the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment, you notice again in verse 37, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Do you realize that this morning that it's possible for you to be active in everything that you do in the local church and not really love God like you should? I know because I've been active in the local church for 45 years. (laughs) And I know that in the 45 years I've been serving God, there are times whenever I was just simply going through the motions. You know, for a pastor, your pastor, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, he's got to be ready to go. Whether he's ready spiritually or not, he's got to be ready to go. And for 45 years, uh, I've had the privilege of being able to teach and preach the Word of God. And there's never been a week that I haven't been involved somewhere Now, what I mean by that is this, it's not like we began in the ministry in 1974, June 23rd, 1974, I preached my first sermon as a pastor at the Redwood Baptist Church in Redwood City, California, church we were starting there uh, in the San Francisco area, June 23rd, 1974. I went back in uh, 2019 and preached their 45th anniversary. And uh, what a privilege to be able to continue to see that church continue on for 45 years now, uh, preaching, the, preaching the gospel and winning people to Christ and supporting missionaries. And I'm just, uh, it's by the grace of God. But in those 45 years, there was never a time whenever we like got out of the ministry. It wasn't a time like where I said, okay, we're in the ministry now, and then we're gonna, now we're going to stop and we're going to do something else for a while, then we'll come back into the ministry. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just simply saying that was not what God had for me. It was beginning and going all the way through. And sometimes in those times of those 45 years, I came and I preached in the pulpit and I say to my disgrace and shame, I really wasn't, I really, my heart wasn't in it. I mean, it's not like, it's not like uh, you know, pastors are, are human and uh, we have trouble, we have problems just like everybody else does. And so, you know, it's not like I could go to church on a Sunday morning. Your pastor can't come in, come to church next Sunday morning and say, you know, folks, my wife and I had a really, we had a fight on the way to church today. And, uh, and so uh, I'm not really in the mood for it. So I'm going to have somebody else. But I want to have one of the assistants preach today because, you know, the, the reality is I'm just kind of, I'm still angry. I'm ticked off still. You know, we don't get to do that. We uh, we have to get it right. You know, we, sometimes we just have to say, "Lord, help me," because I, I I'm not I'm not feeling it today. But Father, please help me to be able to. And, and I'm not saying fake it till you make it. I'm saying faith it till you make it. You know, <laughs> I'm saying I'm not saying fake it. I'm just simply saying that there are times I know that I've gone through the motions in my Christian life when my heart really wasn't in tune with God. There are times whenever I've had to just get away. Sometimes, uh, I'll be honest with you, sometimes we, we're out, when we were out in Southern California for those 25 years at Liberty Baptist Church, sometimes I'd just get in the car, maybe on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Monday or whatever it might be, and just drive down by the ocean and uh, find a place to stop and just get my Bible out and spend time with the Word, in the Word of God and spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, get my heart back where it's supposed to be. You can go through the motions and not, not really have it there. You might say, well, Pastor, I I don't think you could really do that. Look at at Revelation chapter 2 with me for a moment, if you would, please. And let me just show you something about a church called Ephesus. If you were moving to the city of Ephesus and you were looking for a church, this is the church that you would think, hey, this is the right church. This is a great church. I want to join this church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now look at this church. Look at the characteristics of this local church at Ephesus. Jesus said, I know thy works. All right, they're working. That's good, right? They're busy for the Lord. Uh, Your labor, they're working to the point of laboring. Your patience, they're patient. They're patient. They're not expecting everything to happen at once. They're just saying, hey, we're going, to keep, we're going to stay faithful to God. That would indicate they were faithful, patience, laboring patiently. Uh, they're, 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 they're doctrinally sound. You cannot bear them which are evil. Well, they're separated as well. But notice they're doctrinally sound because as you have tried them which say they're apostles and are not, found them liars, so they didn't just believe anything that came through. They were watching, they were careful with their doctrine, they're careful with their patience, they're careful with their labor. Uh, verse 3: You've born, had patience, for my name's sake, you have labored. They're doing it for God. I mean, they're, they're, all of those different things are going on in this church at Ephesus. So if you and your wife, uh, you and your family move to Ephesus, you're looking for a local church, you'd be, you'd be walking, you go in there and say, Hey, this is it. This is a good place. Babe, let's join the church. Let's, next Sunday, let's walk forward and let's uh, uh, transfer our membership and put ourselves there uh, before the church. There's only one problem, though. One one small problem with this church. I mean, they're they're working, they're patient, they're doctrinally sound, uh, they're 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 doing everything right. But there's one small problem. It's found in verse four, and that is they don't love Jesus. Other than that, they're great. (laughs) In verse four, Jesus said, "Nebulas, I have I have someone. I got one problem with you. That is, you've left your first love." Wow. Years ago, when I was in that first church in Redwood City, we had an evangelist come through, and uh, he preached a message. And he talked about he preached a message from this text. And here's what he said. He said, "Soul winning is your first love. The first thing that God wants you to love is winning souls." And he says, some of the people right here in this room today, you have stopped winning souls. You left your first love when you stopped winning souls. I was a young preacher. I remember sitting there thinking, what? Soul winning? My first love? Uh, now I'm for soul winning. But that's not my first love. My first love is God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Not winning souls. God is to be above all else. And so, what I'm saying this morning is that if this conference is successful, when we finish on Wednesday night, all of us are going to love God a little more than we did before. We're going to, have to be, once in a while, you just have to get, us, get alone and, and maybe kneel at the altar or get out somewhere, um, go, go over by the ocean or go up in the woods somewhere and just say, God, I need to push the reset button because I've drifted away. I'm still doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm still going to Sunday school, I'm still going to church, I'm still helping, I'm still singing the choir, I'm still teaching a class, I'm still going on the bus route, but Lord, you know my heart is not in it like it used to be, Father. I don't want to be just going through the motions. I want to be doing this because I love you. Reinforce that. It's like a marriage. How's your marriage going to be? if, 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 if the, the reality is that you're just kind of, you're, you're living in the same house, you're doing the same stuff, but you don't love each other as fervently as you used to love each other. My wife and I have been married for 49 years. January 29th, uh, 1972, we got married. And this past January 29th was 49 years. If we make it to next January 29th, it's going to be 50 years. I, st- I think we're going to make it. Uh, 49 years. I think now it's like, you know, I don't want to start over again, neither does she. But you know what we've done? We have tried to say, look, uh, because there's times whenever... We, we, there, there's, look, any, co- any couple who's being honest would tell you that there's times whenever you're not feeling that, that emotion. We're not there just for the emotion. We're right. we're not, we don't live by feelings. But they're important. The fact that we don't follow our feelings and our emotions and, and the fact that, that we don't live by them and, and make decisions doesn't mean that they don't matter. God created us as emotional feeling beings. And we need to have that emotion for God where we come back and we say, Lord, you know what? I love you, but I'm excited about what I'm doing. And the, the purpose of this missions conference is to say, number one, let's get back to where we were Uh, At one point where we can say, Lord, I truly love you. I I, I truly love you. Push that reset button in our heart. So, first of all, what's it all about? It's about, about getting, falling in love with Jesus all over again. Secondly, the second thing Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, He said not only the great commandment to love God, but He went on to say in the next verse, 39, but the second commandment is like the first. The first one is love God. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. I call that the great compassion. To have compassion. And, and to, to, to love your neighbor. A heart for your neighbor. What does that mean? Well, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus gave us an illustration of that. You're familiar with it. We're not going to, we're not going to read it again this morning. But it's, the, it's what we call the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Samaritan. The, 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 the story of the Samaritan. And so, the good Samaritan was the person that Jesus gave the illustration for what it means to love your neighbors yourself, the good Samaritan. And Jesus told a story. He said there was a Jewish man that was on a journey. And as this, this Jewish man was on this journey, he was walking on his journey, and he was mugged. He was attacked by some, some, some uh, gangsters, some, some, some fiends that beat him up. They, they, they robbed him. They took everything from him. They left him half dead. And they left him laying in a ditch, left him there to die. Well, time went by and there were, there were two religious people that came by, a priest and a Levite. A priest. The difference between a priest and a Levite is that the priest, all, all of the, the priests are from the tribe of Levi, but the priests are chosen out of the, the tribe of Levi for that exalted position as priests. But the other Levites in that tribe, they still served in the, in the tabernacle as well, in the temple as well. They were still involved in the work of God. So both the priest and the Levite, they both knew what their responsibility was. They both had, 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 uh, had been chosen by God to serve, and they both knew their responsibility to this fellow Jew that was laying there in the ditch. So one of them comes by, and, and he sees him, but he moves over to the other side of the road so he can pretend he didn't see him, so he wouldn't have to worry about it. went on by. Then the Levite comes by. The priest, the priest goes to the other side of the road. The Levite comes by, and he actually goes over and looks at the guy. Looks at him there, laying there. In the ditch, dying, walks on by, leaves him alone. And then a Samaritan. A Samaritan, of course, were the bitter enemies of the Jews, half-breed Jews. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And uh, they, uh, they the Jews didn't like the Samaritans at all. And so the Samaritan, who would be the natural enemy of the Jew, comes by. He sees this Jewish person, and he goes out, and he and he helps him. He goes to great lengths to heal this person and to financially to care for him and to to, 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 to meet the needs of this dear man. And Jesus said to this person who was asking him, What do you mean by my neighbor? So which one do you think was the neighbor? Obviously the Samaritan. Now, I'm afraid that you and I oftentimes are like the priest and the Levite. We know what our responsibility is. The problem is not with the head. The problem is with the heart. We know what our responsibility is. We know what it means to care for our neighbor. We know that we have, we have an, a, an obligation to, to care for those that are lost. We know that we should care for other people. We know we should help, but we don't. We just walk by on the other side of the road. For 25 years, my wife and I pastored in, in Southern California, and we lived just a few minutes from Disneyland. Disneyland is what's called the Magic Kingdom. And uh, how many of you have been to Disneyland or, or Disney World? Yeah, so you know it, it's way too expensive and it's, it's way, way overrated. But the Magic Kingdom, it's a beautiful place. It's a great place to go. In our world today, you see, Disneyland is not real. That Magic Kingdom doesn't really exist. It's, it's just Disneyland. But in our world today, there are two kingdoms. They're real kingdoms. They have real people in them. America is the magic kingdom. My wife and I have spent enough time outside of our country to know what it's like to be outside of this country, to live in other countries. The magic kingdom is a wonderful place to be. In the magic kingdom, kids are encouraged to dream about what they might become and then go chase their dreams and and become all that God wants them to be. In the magic kingdom, we struggle with first-world problems. We have first-world problems like, where should we go for dinner tonight? First-world problems like, how to best decorate our homes? Where should we invest our excess money? Should we, should we use traditional IRAs? Should we buy, a, buy individual stocks? Should we buy mutual funds? Should we uh, put our money into, into a, into a uh, Roth IRA? Should we hire a, a financial advisor? Should we do it ourselves? These are first world problems. First world problems we struggle with in America, like what kind of a car should we buy? Should we drive a sedan? Should we have an SUV? Should we get a crossover? Should we we get a convertible? I'm not against any of those things. We lived in Southern California. I bought my wife a convertible on our 20th wedding anniversary, and she had a convertible until the day we sold it to move to China uh, about five, six years ago. I'm not against that. I'm not, I'm not preaching against against America. I'm, I'm grateful for America. I had a, I had a, a motorcycle, a large one, 1,500 cc uh, Suzuki Intruder, and uh, and we we loved, we loved it. I mean, we we enjoy we love the Magic Kingdom. We're not preaching against. I'm not preaching against America. I'm not. I don't I don't feel guilty about being an American. I don't. And, and you shouldn't either. I'm just simply trying to tell you that there's two kingdoms here. The Magic Kingdom. We have first world problems, like where should we go on vacation? Should we take a cruise? Should we go to another country? Uh, Should we take a staycation? Sometimes maybe we say, let's just stay home and let's take the money we would have spent on vacation. Let's remodel the bathroom. Let's do something with the kitchen. Let's uh, add another room. Let's, 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 Let's use the money here. These are first world problems. But outside of our kingdom, there's another kingdom. It's much larger than the magic kingdom. I call it the tragic kingdom. In the tragic kingdom, there are five billion people. Five billion people live outside of our kingdom. In the tragic kingdom, millions of people go to bed hungry each night. Over a billion people this very moment are hungry. They're slowly starving to death. Severely malnutrition. In the tragic kingdom, most citizens have very little access to clean drinking water. They walk for miles each day and they fill their, their buckets with Water that's contaminated, and they bring it back, and it just makes them more sick. In the tragic kingdom, more than one-third of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. More than 75% live on less than $10 a day. I'm going to give you some statistics from MSN Money. According to MS Money, if you made $15,000 last year, you're in the top 20% 20% of the world's income earners, 15000 15, a year, you're, you're in the top 20%. You make more than 80% of the people in the world. According to MSN Money, if you earn $25,000 or more a year, you're in the top 10% of the world's income earners. If you earn more than $50,000 a year, according to them, you are in the top 1%. We hear so much about the 1%. <laughs> I say to you, you're looking at the 1%? And I suspect I am too. The vast majority of us in the magic kingdom are in the top 1% of the world's income earners. In the tragic kingdom, Christians are beheaded. They're killed. And their children are taken as slaves. Some of them as ISIS, given away as ISIS brides. In the tragic kingdom, People sell their little girls to men who tell them that their children are going to be taken to the city where they're going to be given an education and they're going to learn a trade. If you go up above Nepal in the the Himalayan, uh, Himalayan mountains, you'll find village after village after village where there are no little girls in the village. Girls up to one to seven might be there. From eight and above, they're gone. All those girls have been sold. They've been sold to people who come up to the villages and, and tell the parents that we're going to take your girl and we're going to take her, we're going to take her down to Kathmandu, to the capital. And uh, they're, they're at the capital. She's going to go to school. She's going to learn how to read and write. And we're going to teach her how to take care of, uh, teach her a trade. And she's going to be able to get a job. But the vast majority of those girls are not, never going to end up earn, going to school or learning to trade. The vast majority of those girls, somewhere from the, from the journey, from their village, down the mountain, they're going to be intercepted by people from India and other countries who will buy those girls again and then take them to their countries to sell them into the, use them in the sex trade. Little girls, eight years and above. Girls, of the ages of my granddaughters. And perhaps this morning, I—I I, I don't mean to be offensive in telling you this. That what I just told you. And perhaps you're here today, and you're saying, "Well, you know what? I don't think you should talk about that in church." Could I say this to you? I'm 100% in agreement with you. I don't think you should talk about it in church either. I don't think you should talk about it anywhere. Because I don't think it ought to be happening. But the reality is, it is. And the fact that we don't talk about it doesn't make, make it go away. You say, why would anybody do that? Why would you sell your daughter your Bo- because they're Buddhist? They don't, they don't know. They don't, they don't have what you have. They don't have a local church in those villages. They don't have a pastor. They don't have a Bible. They don't have somebody that they could go to. You know, if you, if you get laid off this week from your job, you have a pastor you can go to, and you can say, "Preacher, can you pray for me?" You have a church that you can network with. You have got people say, "Hey, you know what? They're hiring over here. Let me have your, let, give me your resume. I'll turn it into my place." We have people. We have a, a support system. They don't. They have nothing. And they think they actually think what they're doing is is good by giving their daughter a chance to have a better life. It's not that they hate their kids. They love their kids like you love yours. You know the hope for them? We can, get some, we can get some of their own people out in their villages planting churches. I really think that's the only hope they have. The great compassion. I'm, so, I'm afraid we've become so comfortable that we can no longer hear the cries of our neighbors. We don't realize what's going on around the world and we don't care enough to see it. So what's this missions conference all about? Number one, it's about... about Getting our heart back in tune with God and then getting our heart towards others, our neighbors around us that are hurting. And Then number three, it's about a heart for the lost. Not only did Jesus tell us that we are to love God supremely, we're to love our neighbors, ourselves. You see, you, see, you, see you see what I'm talking about today? This from for the first few years of my ministry, here's what I thought. Lord, we're having missions conference. I love missions conference. It's all about this. We're going to raise some more money. It, that that really wasn't it. <laughs> I think what God was saying to us was, Dwight, I want you to have missions conference so you can get your heart back in tune again and remind your people to do the same. And then you can remember not only that you're to love me, you're to love others. And then, by the way, Dwight, once you you love me and you love others, the natural result is going to be that we want to get the gospel to people, the Great Commission. Five times we're given the Great Commission by Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Let me just give you the one in Acts real quickly. Because in the book of Acts... Of course, in Matthew 28, Jesus told us that we are to go, we're to go to all nations. We'll talk a little bit about what that all nations means a little bit more, Lord willing, this week. But, but in Acts, he gives us a little bit more. Acts 1.8, Jesus gave us a little bit more instruction on how do we do that. In Acts 1.8, here's what he said. But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me both. Now, notice both, not or. Jesus did not Jesus did not say, You shall be witnesses unto me, either in in Jerusalem, Samaria, the uttermost or no, he said, both, both. I want you to do both at the same time. Right, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Right, how do we do that? And again, we'll talk about that more this week, Lord willing, but but just for right now, let me just give you briefly, real quickly, some thoughts on that. How do we how do we do both at the same time well first, first of all Jerusalem Jerusalem for us Jerusalem, Jerusalem was their city and and for us it would be like our family our people um, I was the last one to get saved in my in, in my family I didn't get saved till I was 20 years old but my my mom and dad got saved first I was actually in, in Vietnam at the time that they got saved and so I was I was out of the country I was in the army and in Vietnam when I came home they, they they'd all been saved but they took it upon themselves to get their Jerusalem as our, their family, their five kids. And so today, all all five of their children, my mom and dad are in heaven now, but their five children are all saved. And now we're all raising our children uh, in the gospel as well. And, and, and I don't know how many grandkids we, we've got when you put all five of those kids together. I know how many I've got. I've got nine. And all nine of ours are going to be in church somewhere today, unless they're sick or something. Our nine of ours will be in church somewhere today. And so, so, first of all, is your family. If you're the only one saved in your family, or if, or if, you're, if you have family members who are not saved yet, man, begin to pray for them. Talk to them. Uh, get, bring them with you two weeks from today. Easter is the, is, the, is the best time of the year to bring a visitor with you to church. If you miss this Easter time, you may not have it again until Christmas. You know, Christmas and Easter. Uh, creatures. They come on Christmas and Easter. Bring those creatures with you. Get some in here for Easter. But your family, and so Jerusalem, your immediate family, start at home. But don't, don't, don't stop there. Start at home. Jerusalem, Judea would be your city. Your city, the surrounding cities here. Samaria, your country. And then the uttermost part of the earth. We expand beyond our borders through our giving. In this conference, God is going to ask you to go. He, asks, he, he may ask you to go. He may ask you to let go, which is harder than going sometimes. By let go, I mean let go of your kids. Let go of your grandkids. I mean, sometimes it's easier to say, Lord, I'll go myself, than it is to say, I'm going to let my kids go. Because we want them to stay here with us. Let them go. Do whatever God wants them to do. Go, let go, and give so others can go. Those three things. To go, to let go, or to give so others can go. And as we do that, we have people, these missionaries... Three excellent missionaries with you today, and then you got the, and then I'm here too, but you got those three great families, and uh, and they're they're going, so that others can can hear, especially, those should we be sending people to those that have not yet had an opportunity to hear. The thing that attracts my wife and I to the to the 10:40 window, we'll tell you later what the 10:40 window is, if you've not heard that term before. The thing that attracts us to that part of the world is that that's the part of the world. That has the least access to the gospel. We have the privilege of supporting 75 different national pastors. Now we've built an orphanage in, in Myanmar. Uh, last year we're building one in India right now. We have the privilege of supporting national pastors in 19 different countries, and these guys are in places where where we where we cannot go. Where foreigners are not accepted. Where they're not where they're not we're not able to go. And so. Those people who have the least access to the gospel, We've, we support men that are in they're in Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, and atheist countries, communist countries. There are five communist countries left in the world. Four of them are in the 1040 window, and we have national pastors in three of them that we support. And, and, we, and, and my wife and I go regularly to those three as well. Um, the one we don't, one we don't have anybody in, I wish we did, is North Korea. The one we've not been to is North Korea. We've been to communist Vietnam many times. We lived in communist China. We go to communist Laos. We've been there several times. um, Supporting national pastors, helping them reach their people. So what's this conference all about? Yeah, we're going to ask you to make a commitment. But, you know, the money doesn't mean anything without the heart. The reality is this. You know, the Bible says, we're going to see in 2 Corinthians, if, if we... Perhaps this week we'll see Second Corinthians 9 7. God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give from a heart. We're not just trying to squeeze some money out of you this week. We're trying to point you towards Jesus. and Maybe squeeze your heart a little bit and say, let's rededicate ourselves to falling in love with Jesus all over again. Then let's say, Lord, not only do I want to love you, I want to love the people that you love. Unlovable people, people that, that are like we were when you were yet enemies. The Bible says, Jesus, God loved us and Jesus died for us. Help, God, help me to love you first. And then if I love you, I can love my brother and I can love my neighbor. And I want to get the gospel to those for whom Jesus died. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what the missions conference is about. So this morning, maybe it would be a good time for us to just stop at the very first service of the missions conference and say, Lord, I want to push the reset button before I do anything else. I want to stop and just say, Lord, help me to love you again like I used to. Help me to love you that I should, as you deserve. And, Lord, help me to love my neighbors, myself. And, Lord, help me to love the lost and show me what you want me to do this week during this missions conference to help get the gospel around the world. Can we bow our heads together for prayer? And I'm going to pray, and then Pastor will come to take care of our invitation. But all our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. i want to just ask you a couple of questions real quickly before before Pastor comes. Question number one would be this: I wonder this morning if there's somebody here today, and you're not 100% sure that if you died you'd go to heaven. We love you here at at this church. This church loves you. The pastor does. The people do. Nobody's going to try to embarrass you. But I wonder if there's somebody here today that would be willing to say, Brother Dwight, the truth is I don't know for sure that if I died I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to be sure. If a man, woman, boy, or girl can know for sure their sins are forgiven, I'd like to know it. I do not know it, but I'd like to know. Don't embarrass me, but would you pray for me? If you're here this morning you're not sure that if you died you'd go to heaven, you're not 100% sure that heaven is your home. Your eternal home. Would you be willing to just slip your hand up and then write back down all over the auditorium? Anybody like that today? Brother Dwight, don't embarrass me. Pray for me. I'm not sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. I see no hands. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed before pastor comes. How many people would say today, Brother Dwight, God has spoken to my heart. The Reality is perhaps I, maybe I came in today, I, I'm kind of like you were for all those years. You didn't really understand what the missions conference was about. It wasn't that it was bad if we were trying to raise money for missions, but but that was kind of the byproduct of what it should be, and that is to to get our hearts in tune with God and with others. How many people today would say, Brother Dwight, God has spoken to me. Pray for me, that God will show me what he wants from me this week. My church, would you slip your hand up all over the auditorium? God bless you. God bless you.